the hardest part is getting started and the hack to that is pretty simple just get started do not try to find the best thing you could do uh, you know so the, the fact is that you know like uh, see you know open source and the reason why the word community is used so often in the open source world is that it's truly a community everyone is welcome you know like just pick anything find whatever little thing that you think would be better it could be something as simple as a spelling mistake in the documentation it could be something as simple as maybe you know just just improving the documentation a little bit more it's fine if you do not understand a huge code base on day zero uh, but if you just keep reading you know like just keep reading try keep using it just keep seeing you know it could be just a better variable name uh, for a piece of code right that is absolutely all right you do not have to start with you know one big fancy patch to the most in, you know most problematic bug in the system because no you can't do that on day zero right just start hello and welcome to developers journey the podcast bringing you the making of stories of successful software developers to help you on your upcoming journey i'm your host tim bourguignon on this episode 239 i receive happy manu saxena Habermanu's entrepreneurial journey started early in his career. After a successful exit, he worked as a software engineer in New York and experienced firsthand a serious scarcity of skilled tech talent that brought him to co-founding Interviewbit and Scalar, I'm sure we are going to talk about those two companies, who are versed in technical recruitment and career acceleration. Habermanu, welcome to their journey. Thank you so much, Tim, for hosting me on your podcast. But before we come to your story, I want to thank the terrific listeners who support the show every month. You are keeping the Dev Journey lights up. If you would like to join this fine crew and help me spend more time on finding phenomenal guests than editing audio tracks, please go to our website, devjourney.info, and click on the Support Me on Patreon button. Even the smallest contributions are giant steps toward a sustainable dev journey. Journey? Thank you. And now, back to today's guest. Oh, it's my pleasure. It's been a long time in the making, and I'm really thrilled that it's finally happening. So, Avimanyu, um, as you know, the show exists to help the listeners understand what your story looked like and imagine how to shape their own future. So, as is usual on the show, let's go back to your beginnings. Where would you place the start of your dev journey? Very interesting. That takes me down the memory lane. Uh, and one very, very interesting fact that, so I joined an undergraduate university uh, for a degree in computer science. And until I joined that place, I had never used a computer in my life. So when I wow. got inside the university and there are, you know, like these unique shell that I have to, you know, write code on. And I used to type on the keyboard with a single hand and a single finger. I'll find where the keyboard is because I had never typed on a keyboard before. Right? So, so my first year into the university is when I kind of touched the computer and a keyboard for the first time. Uh, but but it, it has been a fascinating journey so far. You know, my, I was lucky enough to be building some of the highest scale e-commerce websites in the world, uh, building building very large online education platforms and and it's fascinating that until my adulthood, almost 18 years, I had never touched a computer. And then I was able to, you know, become, I think, a decent enough engineer myself. 
this is insane. I have to roll back a little bit. What uh, pushed you to enroll into this computer science university, yeah. not having touched a computer yeah. in the first place? Right, 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 right. I think that's pretty interesting as well. So to be very candid, uh, uh, when I had finished school, uh, I had no idea, you know, what computer science is about or, you know, what, what any other, like I knew that I loved tinkering with things. I loved building stuff. So I knew that I do want to do something in STEM, you know, like engineering technology or science is something that, that attracted me. But, but I, I didn't have a lot of clarity about that exactly. Is it, should I become an electronics engineer? Should I become a computer scientist? Or should I become a mechanical engineer or an automobile engineer, right? I had no idea. Now, one thing, however, that helped me make this decision to join a computer science course was that I, I loved math. I knew that, you know, I, I enjoy solving abstract mathematical problems. And someone I, I knew back then, they told me that, you know, if, if math is what you love, probably computer science might be an interesting field for you to explore. And I just took a leap mm -hmm. of faith with that. To be candid, it might have very well end up, ended up being a very bad career choice. Uh, but just <laughs> equipped with that advice that if you love math, you might enjoy computer science. Uh, that is what pushed me to join a computer science program. Mm -hmm. Okay. So what I'm hearing is you knew you were going into some kind of science-y direction, yeah. just not yeah. exactly which one. And then leap of faith, computer science, and it worked out right away? Question mark? That's right. Yes, yes, probably. Yeah. <laughs> okay, well. so... It, it was love at, at first sight, I mean. That's true, that's true. And, you know, as it goes with love at first sight, that either it can go terribly amazing or it can go terribly wrong. I think I was fortunate <laughs> enough that, that it ended up better on the better side for me. When did you realize that it's indeed going uh, on the positive end? Yeah, yeah. So the initial about six months into this, you know, computer science program, It was a hell for me, you know, like I, I, I really felt that, you know, I made a wrong choice because uh, imagine being someone who types on a keyboard with a single index finger and being demanded, being surrounded by geeks who have been tinkering with Unix shell for five, six years uh, mm -hmm. and then being challenged with, you know, solving hard computer science problems, you know, writing data structures and algorithms uh, and then having to being forced to use only Unix at, at your institute, it, it was pretty hard for me. So initial initial three to six months, I had multiple moments of you know questioning myself that is this really right place for me? But then an interesting thing happened. Uh, I was very fortunate, I think, uh, to be surrounded by people who were very, very helpful to you know help me cope up. And I, uh, that, that built my strong belief on the fact as well that your learning journey and your growth journey is deeply shaped by who you are surrounded by. The community around you plays a massive role into what you could do. Mm -hmm. And with this community around me, and one interesting fact that, uh, you know, like uh, my co-founder at this company, Scalar, and interviewed for eight years, this was the person who used to live in my dormitory right next door. Uh, mm. And not just him, but many others as well, right? And and they were pretty kind and helpful from, with me while I might be helping them solve their math problems. And they will help me learn computers a little bit more. You know, like uh, I, I have a very funny joke here that another friend of mine who came with a background similar to mine and we were being taught 
C language, you know, the basics of C programming language. Now, those who have coded in C would know that we have these basic commands called get care and put care. Uh, mm-hmm. Now, of course, someone who has never coded before seeing these code snippets for the first time in life, how you are going to read these particular get care might be very different. So this friend of mine comes to you know me one day and says that, Abhimanyu, you know, I'm having trouble understanding uh, something. Can you help me with that? And suggest, yes, yeah, sure, gladly. Uh, what is it? And since I'm not able to understand what does this getcher and putcher do. And I was <laughs> lost. Okay, like, you know, I have never read or used this myself. You know, what is getcher and putcher? <laughs> and then you type it down that, you know, I'm trying to use this. I'm like, yeah, okay, okay. Now this, so this is a joke that, you know, even after 15 years uh, uh, in our close friend circle, we make fun of him. Uh, and and his, his nickname... <laughs> Like it became his nickname as Getcher and Putcher, but but uh, you know, like but but you know, when when you are a strong community of people trying to learn together, people willing to help each other, and very quickly when I realized that you know I can just write a code and I can do things with that, you know I can build something that people can use. Uh, that always excites me a lot. You know, like something as simple as the platform on which we are recording this podcast on the platform on which people would be listening to the podcast. My voice transitioning over to you or to the listener, all of this is happening through code and how amazing, how fantastic that is, right? That is what hooked me. You know, I can write code with which I can literally do anything. Uh, As a maybe 17, 18 year old kid, that was fascinating for me. And I think that hooked me to computer science. And and this took a few months. So you said the six first six months were hell, but then yeah. it became better and better and better and accelerated and everything. Right. That is that is so right. cool. That is so cool. So at which point did you say, okay, now no, I see I see myself doing nothing else than just this, and and right. from there on it was was really on a roll. Right. So I think the moment I realized that I know the language of these machines. And I can instruct them to do anything. And then very quickly, we all, you know, our, our group of friends at the university, we started building things. Uh, so, for example, when we were in the first, you know, the freshman year of our university, uh, and we started, we, we thought, so this, this is another very interesting story that in our dorm, uh, we used to share, you know, a hall. Uh, there would be two, three people in the common hall. And... Our, our thermostat and the lights of the room, they were closer to, you know, one person's bed. And every, every time we want to change the thermostat or we want to, you know, switch on or off the lights, we'll have to call him. And he will often have his headphone on so he can't hear us. So we will have to open our laptop and then we will have to message him that can you please, you know, switch on the light or can you please switch off the light? And we felt this is, this is not good. Uh, you know, why can't I do it from my laptop or from my, my mobile, right? Uh, that would be, you know, like, of course, programmers are the most lazy people. They do not want to get up, go to the switchboard and, and you know, change things. Uh, oh, yeah, we, we are. Uh, so we thought, let's build this, you know, because now we can code and we can instruct computer to do anything. So let's let's build this, you know, can we build a system with which I can, you know, switch on and off lights in my room? or my thermostat, or the fan, or the radiator, I, I should be able to do that from my computer. Why do I have to get up and switch on or off the switch? So we built that. That was the first startup that we built uh, when we were in college. Uh, now, if we look at it today, this is back in 2007. 
almost 15 years. Uh, but 15 years back, today today we have this, you know, home automation and you know, we have Philips Hue and all of those. But back in 2007, that was a pretty fancy thing to build. Uh, mm-hmm. And we built that. Fortunately, you know, like we got three of us, me, my current business partner, Anshuman, and a couple of other friends, we got together and we built the system. Again, you know, I felt like a superman, a superhuman. You know, I can I can build the system using which people can control their electrical devices from their laptops. And they could even do it when they're sitting in the class. They can, you know, change the thermostat in their dormitory when they're sitting in the class. Uh, I think that hooked us. That hooked us. And wow, you know, this is, this is we have got a superpower at our hands. Uh, so you I think then, then there was no looking back here. That is that is an awesome story. Do you remember the the, the point in time where this project um, grew out of your own use? Where you said, "Hey, this is not just us having this problem, but we could make a company out of that." Oh, absolutely! So we built this, and there was uh, an interesting event that uh, in our university there used to be certain you know contest on different different things, and there was a contest on a biz plan that you know just present a biz plan. We thought that, you know, like we have a cool project, we are building it. Let's just participate in this contest as well and try to just, you know, out of thin air, let's create a biz plan on top of it and present it in this competition and let's see where it goes. We did one little change to it though. And that is the superpower of being a programmer. We created a very nice slide out of it. But the last slide was, uh, because it was happening in our university itself, it was a, you know, common conference room in our university. We said, we said that let's set up our system in this conference hall. And then the last slide of the presentation is going to be controlling the lights and the fans and the AC of the conference hall from our laptop. Do a live demo right there. Uh, we did that. You know, we presented our business plan around it. And right after that, we said, now we are going to switch off all the lights of this room, this conference room with 400 people in it, right from my laptop. We did that. We won the competition, uh, and fortunately, one of the judges for that contest also told us that if you want to build this, I would like to invest in your company. Uh, so yeah, that's the event that that was pretty fascinating. We were just nineteen year old kids back then. It was it was a big moment for us. But uh, while the investment amount was pretty trivial, looking back, uh, but but that was a fascinating time. This is awesome. I, I just, I'm just imagining how you could do this, uh, making your own presentation, and then at the end of presentations, and it's a bit warm here, isn't it? Let, let me turn down the AC that I turned on uh, at the beginning of the of the presentation, and click, click. <laughs> or, yeah. Ooh, it's it's a bit too too fancy now. Let, let's dim the lights a little bit, and <laughs> that's exactly what there's some did. potential yeah. there. <laughs> that is awesome. <laughs> that is really cool. So uh, how um. W- was it a software piece only, or did you have some hardware as well uh, in in this no, first no, company? It had, yeah, it had a hardware piece as well, of course. So, so we had to use uh, there is a protocol called uh, Zigbee. Uh, Zigbee is a Bluetooth protocol. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we were yeah. using these small, uh, you know, XB Bluetooth modules. So there would be so there was this this was a hub and spoke architecture that uh, mm-hmm. there was a centralized server which will do the orchestration between the control and the actuator. Uh, all the devices had to have this small Zigbee device attached to them. Uh, and then the centralized uh, controller, like which could be, you know, uh, one one central module in a home or in a building 
that would be connected to each of these Zigbee endpoints through Bluetooth. Uh, and, and, and then the control signals will be sent to that. So we had this small hardware piece attached to each of the device that we want to control. And then another hardware centralized hub, uh, which gets the signal from the central server, which could be remote. And my control device, which is my laptop, my mobile, it connects to the server. The server sends a signal to the hub uh, in the home. And then the hub sends the signal to the endpoint, the Zigbee endpoint on, on Bluetooth. That's how we had designed the architecture. Sure. I'm smiling right now because I have a few boxes right, right on my desk here from a, a big Swedish store doing some, uh -huh. some uh, lights like this. And, and there's a big Zigbee uh, logo on it. So <laughs> wow. yeah, I installed yeah. a few again in my, in my office. Yeah. So uh, yeah, yeah. That, that was ahead of your of, of its time. Uh, congratulations on that. So, uh, how did you uh, approach this uh, creating hardware as 19 years old in college? Um, uh, creating right. software and doing a SaaS is actually right. kind of easy with big air quotes. Right. You don't have any right. any any cash upfront in creating hardware, etc. But hardware right. is, a, is a different beast. How do you approach that? Right, 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 right. I think uh, you know one one very powerful thing uh, uh, which comes out of serendipity being in a university is that you can easily come across people with complementary skill sets. So uh, I had one very dear friend of mine, Jairaj, who was, who, was, who was doing his engineering in electronics. And he was a whiz kid uh, building, you know, very fascinating pieces of uh, robotics. So he would often be seen in the university campus around trying to run a weird robot that he has built, um, you know, or, or taking contests, taking part into these robo-war contests, etc. Uh, like just out of our hobbies, we, we, we would often hang out. And when this problem came to my mind, that why the hell do I have to walk to the switchboard to turn on my light on and on, it was pretty obvious to me that, you know, it's not just a software problem. It, this problem also has a hardware part. I shared this with, you know, Jay, who was my friend. that you know, I want to build something like this, but I don't know how to build the hardware. And he was equally pained. He was as lazy as I was. He was also equally pained by the fact that he has to walk up to the switchboard to turn on and off, light on and off. And he said, yeah, you know, like we have to build this. And I can build the hardware part. Um, you know, I, I, I know, like, you know, I can solve this problem. Uh, you know, if you send a signal to my hardware device, I can take care of the rest. I can make sure that, you know, the devices actually turn on and off uh, as long as mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Your, your software sends a signal to my hardware. Uh, so we partnered. So me, um, Jairaj, who was Jay, who was taking care of the hardware part, and Anshuman, who was the, you know, the software wizard uh, in our, uh, you know, college. I was probably was the person connecting them all together, you know, uh, and okay. throwing very interesting problems at them. Um, so we got together, built a team of three, four people, and, and we built it. So we had a hardware expert with us who was helping us solve the hardware problems. That That is awesome. And, uh, <laughs> How do you formulate this? This sounds like a like a, a story where you could still be in business, still building lights. Uh, we would have haven't heard about Felix U, but we would have your company instead. What happened? <laughs> Why did you at some yeah. point say, "Well, I'm going to do something else"? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think the answer to why is pretty simple. We were young, and we were more than being young. We were very stupid. <laughs> so, uh, okay. Um, now I hear the story here. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, I think uh, at the same time, we were pretty lucky as well that, you know, we found this gentleman who wanted to, because apart from being stupid, we were poor as well. 
So it was not easy for us to procure the hardware needed, or you know, the investor, you know, time on it, uh, just so much. Uh, but but we were fortunate to have this gentleman who was happy to help us with with some capital. That you know, like if you want to buy, say, a bunch of Zigbee modules, bunch of other hardware that you want to experiment with, I can I can help you buy those. I can give you money for that. Um, so that problem was solved, and we started building it as well. This was back in two thousand eight, uh, two thousand eight, right? And then I'm sure all of us who are old enough have some gray hairs. We would remember the recession of two thousand eight. So we built it pretty nicely. We had a great prototype uh, ready, uh, you know. Although it was looking ugly because there were a lot of open wires coming out of it, etc. But we had a prototype that worked pretty well. Uh, the next step was, you know, like taking it to the production, building a nice, sleek-looking product out of it, which is marketable, which is sellable, which a consumer can buy. You know, uh, like if we look at, you know, I'm sure that the smart lights that you have bought today. They must be looking pretty sleek as well. It's very easy to install. You do not need a technician to install them, right? Uh, so that was the next phase of it. Uh, we felt we were ready to it, but to be honest, we were not really smart enough at industrial design and you know, like packaging it well, uh, scaling the production of it. And of course, another part was that that requires quite good amount of capital investment into it. Now, two thousand eight and nine was not the time when you could, you know, raise capital really for it. Despite having a very solid prototype ready, uh, the gentleman who was backing us, he was pretty kind. He said that, you know, guys, I can't give you a million dollar to productize it and take it to the market uh, in this time, but but if you want, I'm happy to buy your IP for it. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, and in that case, he said, "See, next couple of years, I don't know if anything could be done out of it. Uh, but if you guys are okay with that, I can buy the IP. I will see later once the market is better if there is something I could do with it. Or you guys can we can get back in touch there. Then now, probably being young and stupid, we thought fair enough. Without the capital anyway, there's not much we could would be able to do with it. Uh, and we kind of said, it's all right. We'll we'll sell the IP." So as a young entrepreneur, a 19-year-old, I think it was still a great first exit for us. We built something in six to nine months, sold it to the gentleman for, like at least as 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 three, four poor uh, poor engineering students, we made a good buck out of it. We partied out of it, uh, but that was the you know that was the end of the company uh, then. I see. I see. Thank you for the story. As a as a person working for an IoT uh, company nowadays, um, I can understand the trouble and the pains. Uh, we wrote a few checks for for half a million or a million in advance for uh, parts. That's not an easy uh, an easy world to live in right now with some shortage of components, etc. It's really hard to go from this this prototyping a prototype working, a few prototypes working, yeah. stuff that we printed out in our labs, right. and then go to right. these series of a few thousand uh, units or a few hundred thousand right. units, it's a whole different beast. Right. So right. I totally understand. But good job anyway, <laughs> taking it all the way there in college. That's that's awesome. So how did you fall back on your on your feet after that? Having touched the uh, the the entrepreneur life, um, right. did you go back to or go back to a normal job with with big air quotes? Right. How did that right. uh, career start for you? Right, right, right. So after this, you know, like once the entrepreneurial bug bites you, it's pretty hard to. You know, it's it's kind of addictive, right? But but all the time you it might is. not have 
uh, you know, all the resources needed to uh, just run a company yourself. So both for, for both me uh, and Anshuman, who is my business partner here at Scalar as well, what we had a fallback of was joining two very, very small young startups where you might not be the founder founder, but but kind of, you know, you are if, if you are an early guy in a in a in a young startup, mm-hmm. you you get to to the all the crazy stuff that you would want to do even if you were running your own company, right? So I I worked with a very young New York based fashion startup called Fab.com. So when I joined them, it was a seed state, you know, seed funded, very small company with a single digit employees. Uh, Anshuman was an early employee at Facebook. So when he joined Facebook, it was a company with less than 100 employees. Uh, so fascinating wow. times okay, to be part okay. of. Uh, at Fab, I was probably, you know, my employee ID was in single digit. Uh, so both the companies were, however, growing very, very fast. Back in 2012 or so, I remember Fab was one of the fastest unicorns in the world. We had raised close to close to 350 to $400 million dollars in just a couple of years, uh, Facebook story, I think the world knows it, you know. So, so while we were not running the startups anymore, but we were at least at the center of so much action happening uh, that you know it kind of kept us satiated uh, with 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 the you know the the addiction of uh, entrepreneurship that we had early in our life. Mm-hmm. So that bears the question: How did you make the jump from? university to being at facebook and being at fab in this very very early stage um right. where the the kind of skills you require is actually more being a versatile touch anything jack of all trade uh but also having the the, the skills to really bootstrap things and, and take them right. to the next level uh, how, did, how did you manage to jump right 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 so i think uh uh like the, the journey was slightly different for both of us. Uh, mm-hmm. So for me, the FAB discovery was more of, you know, like in a way, I didn't discover FAB. The founders of FAB discovered me. And I actually mm-hmm. did ask them as well that, you know, how, how the hell did that happen? How did you con- try to connect me? Because, you know, I'm just a nerd coder, you know, sitting somewhere writing my code. Uh, and actually, you know, that's a very interesting advice that I will uh, like to give to all the young developers uh, who might be listening to this podcast as well. That open source is a great, great way to, you know, network. People say that, you know, to network, go to the different conferences or, or just, just go out and meet people. That, that, of course, is valuable. But at the same time, if you are contributing to the right open source projects, that might add so much value for you. Because, you know, if I'm trying to hire someone for a specific role, and if there is a very mature, very high quality open source project, and if you are one of the core contributors to that, probably I would want to talk to you, right? And that is what mm-hmm. happened with me. Uh, so uh, back then, uh, back then there used to be a, a JavaScript library called Backbone.js. Um, so mm-hmm. Backbone.js is something that I started using, and then you know I started contributing few little patches here or there uh, to the core library as well. And then, you know, the Fab founder, when they were trying to hire someone, Fab was growing like crazy. It was, uh, you know, it was a, it was a fashion e-commerce portal, which was, you know, the quality of their front end, their, their mobile app, their website was just, just the top notch. And they were trying to find people who can really contribute to that in, 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 in meaningful ways. Uh, and that is how they discovered me that, you know, if there is someone, Backbone.js was, you know, a library which was very, uh, commonly used in all the high quality front end projects back then. 
and they found that you know if someone is contributing to backbone js probably this guy might be able to add some value um, to us so they reached out to me uh, given it was such a small startup back then i had this question that you know like you know would it work for me but then i think you know that bug that you know i will be at a driving driving seat here i would be able to probably create things which which uh, impact a lot of people i will be able to see the impact of my work in a very very direct way uh, i think i think that hooked me uh, During this day job, uh, were you still able to contribute to Backbone and maybe use your day job to contribute to Backbone and, and still uh, bring to this community uh, something right. that was valuable for you? Right, right, right. No, absolutely. So actually, as a matter of fact, when I joined the company, apart from just building the tech, uh, because it was a young company, one of the core responsibility that companies expected from me was also building the team. You know, finding the best engineers out there and and making sure that they come and join join us, uh, which is pretty hard. You know, to be honest, hiring quality software engineers even till date uh, is not an easy task. I'm sure you would you would uh, have experienced that yourself as well. Uh, yeah. But one hack that worked really well for us was that, like, it's it's if you are able to hire the highest quality open source contributors. These are the people who are, you know, they are day in, day out writing code. Uh, and the way to do that probably is just do not contribute to open source just as an individual, but why not contribute as a company as well? That is something that, you know, we built at FAB. Um, so not only my project, but a lot of people, like we encouraged our entire tech team that, you know, go contribute to open source whenever you can. Even if there are, let's say, you know, something that we are building internally, which is not, uh, you know, which is not uh, directly related to our core business. If it could be shared outside, just go ahead and, you know, like uh, share it uh, in the open source community. We actually sponsored a lot of open source conferences, um, uh, you know, on Ruby on Rails, on, on, on JavaScript, different uh, open source JavaScript libraries. And that worked really well. That was probably one of the best things that we did for our tech hiring. Mm -hmm. That instead of, you know, just, just trying to hire tech recruiters, what we did was that we said that we will use that time and money to fuel into open source so that all the open source developer in the relevant technologies that we use get to know about our company. And if it is a company which is involved so deeply there, like we by default become a company that these, these developers, these programmers love and they probably mm -hmm. would want to be part of it. Uh, so that worked really well for us. Not only I was able to contribute myself, I was also able to kind of, you know, leverage open source as a tool to accelerate our hiring we were able to find really really amazing people out of the open source community to come and join join our tech team that is a very smart move that really uh, brings to this uh, to this engineering brand of of the company and that that already brings you the candidates you need the like-minded candidates um that you need to contribute that that, that, is, that is a fantastic move um one one curveball, and then and then we can uh, piggyback on this uh, to to mm -hmm. go toward the uh, interview bit and scale. Um, how do you prevent um, building some kind of echo chamber of only like-minded people in in such a case? If you are only trying to get, or not maybe not only, but if you're trying to get mostly people from this open source community, right? No, that's that's a very good question because you know, like if you really want to build a product which is loved by your users. It's very important that people who are building it represent your end users adequately. Uh, because, you know, like 
if it is for example if it is all white male building a product how do you make sure that you know it's a product uh, which is also loved by other communities and probably you know one specific kind of community might be just 10% of the real user base you have and if you if you do not have representation of those communities into your product and tech team it's it's close to impossible for you to really even understand that what do they really need right Absolutely. so it's super super important that in product technology etc we have right representation for all the parts of community that this product is going to serve to it's not a it's not a nice woke thing to do it's a must have for the business to thrive right uh, so what we did was that uh, you know like uh, well good one another good thing that i see is that even open source community is rather pretty pretty diverse you know if you look at who are rather you know kind of and there's a good reason to it that there's no gatekeeping in the open source community unlike let's say joining a company where you will have to go through certain interviews where sometimes there might always be biases in the open source community you know there's absolutely no gatekeeping you can write a code you can have an anonymous profile you can you can share your code and if it is if it is you know really high quality it will get most people half the time in the online world of open source community people do not even know what's the ethnicity gender background country of the person who is contributing this patch right so mm-hmm. in a way what i see is that one very fascinating and amazing thing about open source community is that it's very diverse very inclusive community without anyone gatekeeping uh, okay. and i think uh, uh, you know like that reflected even without conscious efforts that reflected in our tech team as well uh, that if you are if you are hiring a lot of people from the open source community by design it it will be pretty diverse community in itself okay makes sense makes sense thank you for for explaining this so um uh at which point did you say okay i want to tackle this problem especially this this uh scarcity of skill talents and and bypassing recruiters maybe or changing the way technical recruitment uh works right right so as we were talking about the fact that you know there is uh, once you have this bug of entrepreneurship uh it's it's pretty hard to let go of that addiction right so me and someone <laughs> we both always had this thing that you know, like like while we are having a lot of fun at fab at facebook uh but eventually we do want to build something of our own now before jumping the you know before the jumping the gun what we felt was that more than just running for a great solution we first want to pick a great problem a great problem that we can take a lot of pride in solving and which we can you know stick to probably for a few decades if not more uh one thing that we very strongly believe is that picking up a very important problem and then sticking to solve that problem for long enough is a very big superpower uh while your mm-hmm. solutions might change over time you know as you as you build you will learn so many things and you will keep changing how you solve it but if you are sticking to solving same problem for long enough you will definitely be able to build something of very high value so the problem statement that we felt is pretty close to our heart is pretty high impact on the world uh, and is something also that we feel that we might be able to do a decent job at was tech upskilling the problem statement is so hard that you know employability is one of the most important thing for any developing or even developed country right people i think uh, one of the biggest problem that the world struggles with is that we have so many people with graduating with a degree 
but are not unemployable there is no shortage of jobs but the issue is that the people do not have the right skills that the organizations are looking for so we thought that it's a huge problem on both the sides that companies are not able to find quality engineers and on the other hand uh, you know our our young students our young professionals they do not know how to build these strong skills to get it, these high quality jobs and let's build something that fixes it for both where we can expand the talent pool for the companies and we can mm-hmm. give a clear path to you know these young uh, you know students in the universities or young young professionals to be able to build skills with which they can get very high quality tech employment so this is a problem statement that we felt that is pretty big important problem to be solved and we given our work at fab and facebook you know being coders ourselves having having mentored coached hired a lot of engineers we could solve uh, fairly well uh, probably better than a lot of other people so that is how we picked this particular mm-hmm. problem and then we said let's invest few decades on it and solve it a few decades right away wow <laughs> that, that's that's resilience so he's has it been a, a decade already it's 8 years already about to get to a decade to wow okay wow <laughs> that is cool that is really cool um and did you do you have the feeling you achieved this already or or uh, are you still on the on the uphill battle to trying to crack this uh this uh, this problem statement that you just described right no, so i think uh, the amazing thing about picking a really big problem is that as i said that you can easily spend few decades solving it while so you know i think there are miles to go while there are two ways to look at it that in 8 years we have achieved so much um, you know we are a fairly large team now we are impacting lives of millions of developers but there are miles to go because it's such a global problem right so if i talk about some numbers interview bit as of today serves to about uh, about uh, you know 5 million monthly users uh, you know uh, uh, right now uh, scalar academy which is you know we are trying to build a tech university like stanford if not better on cloud as of today this university just just you know if i may call it a neoversity instead of university because this is a new kind of university that we are trying to build has a alumni learner base of 30000 students which in just 3 years bigger than probably most of the universities in the world uh, but despite that despite that i think this is just the beginning because it's such a large problem to be solved that you know probably we can keep going keep growing for another decade or two but most likely we'll still have more problems to solve wow i i i like your your the smile you have when you're describing this first of all <laughs> and then you see the yeah. steps and saying well there's more and there's more and there's more and we can go there yeah. and always yeah. thinking about other people that that is fantastic right. that, that's that's really cool i really uh hope it is going to go your way and really continue growing like you yeah like you expected uh you're doing the world a, a favor for that so thank you very much um, i i'd like to come back to to one thing um so we talk a lot about about open source and um do you have some kind of advice to help us start with open source because i feel it's always okay. the, the hardest point is really to find where to contribute how to contribute right. match right. the community style and and feel right. accepted and really right. get going and once you're in there right. it's easier 
but but starting right. is hard. So what would your right. advice in, in this regard? Right, right, right. So I have you know a very interesting hack that I can give to people. Uh, you okay. know, and as you said, that the hardest part is getting started, and the hack to that is pretty simple. Just get started. Do not try <laughs> to find the best thing you could do. Uh, you know, so the, the fact is that you know, like, uh, see, you know, open source, and the reason why the word community is used so often in the open source world is that it's truly a community. Everyone is welcome. You know, like. Just pick anything, find whatever little thing that you think would be better. It could be something as simple as a spelling mistake in the documentation. It could be something as simple as maybe, you know, just, just improving the documentation a little bit more. It's fine if you do not understand a huge code base on day zero. Uh, but if you just keep reading, you know, like just keep reading, try, keep using it, just keep saying, you know, it could be just a better variable name uh, for a piece of code, right? That is absolutely all right. You do not have to start with, you know, one big fancy patch to the most, in, you know, most problematic bug in the system because, no, you can't do that on day right? Just start. I think that's the most important thing. And if you start, if you commit that I'll start today, I'll just contribute something, whatever small I might be able to, and just keep doing that. Within a small window of time, you will realize that, you know, now you are... Now you are getting hang of things. Now you are able to, you know, pick a little more bigger pieces as well. And in no time, you might realize that now you are a very well-respected member of this particular project uh, in the community. It, it just happens with time. This is so true. <laughs> and yet so simple. <laughs> I love it. Thank you very much. So, uh, it's the end of our time box already. It's been it's been a blast listening to your stories. Thank, thank you very much for that. Um, where would be the best place to continue this discussion with you? Right. Uh, so I am on Twitter. Uh, my username is ASXNA. Of course, I'm on LinkedIn as well. On YouTube, I do keep sharing some of my content on Scalar's YouTube channel. Uh, so you could follow me on Twitter. My username is ASXNA. And of course, you can search for me on LinkedIn on Abhimanyasaksana. And we'll add all the links to the show notes so you don't have to write it down. It will be there. Uh, anything else you want to plug uh, in there before we call you today? I think one general advice to you know all the software engineers, young and old, it's, it's pretty fascinating to be in an industry which evolves so rapidly. Uh, you know, like entire tech stacks change within a few years. So just one thing that I would advise to every engineer is that, you know, keep investing into your learning, uh, keep investing into learning new things, keep investing into building your fundamentals so strong that learning a new technology, a new framework, is you are never you know worried or bothered about that. Um, so I think that's the advice that someone gave to me 15 years back, and it worked really really well for me. So I'll just pass that on uh, to others as well. That keep investing your time, your resources into learning new stuff all the time. Amen to that. Thank you very much for highlighting it. Abhimanyu, thank you very, very much. Thank you so much, Tim, for hosting me today. It was my pleasure. And this has been another episode of Developer's Journey. And we'll see each other next week. Bye-bye. Thanks a lot for tuning in. I hope you have enjoyed this week's episode. If you like the show, please share, rate, and review. It helps more listeners discover those stories. You can find the links to all the platforms the show appears on on our website 
devjourney.info slash subscribe. Creating the show every week takes a lot of time, energy, and of course money. Would you please help me continue bringing out those inspiring stories every week by pledging a small monthly donation? You'll find our Patreon link at devjourney.info slash donate. And finally, don't hesitate to reach out and tell me how this week's story is shaping your future. You can find me on Twitter. I'm at Timothep, T-I-M-O-T-H-E-P, or per email, info at devjourney.info. Talk to you soon.